are thrilled you are here with us. 100 Creatives represents a collective of individuals across creative and educational sectors that seek to learn from one another and share insights, ideas, and start conversation. We gather together at our virtual roundtable to explore the intersection of creativity and how it relates to our individual selves and also to community impact. I am your host, Angela Popplewell, and I am the CEO of 100 Cameras, a nonprofit organization that equips youth worldwide with tools to process and tell their stories through photography. Each podcast episode hosts a group of voices, from members of our 100 Cameras Board of Creatives to program educators to youth participants from programs all across the world, even to special guest appearances from our brand partners and friends who share in the commitment that creativity and self-expression should be available to all. Selma Zibardi is the Iraq Country Director of the organization Progress in Peace. Zina Khalil is a Yazidi community member and Bijar Ordamari is a project consultant. Sonar, Zina, and Bijar facilitated a 100 cameras program in Iraqi Kurdistan that worked alongside Yazidi youth who had fled their home of Shinjar from the Islamic State during what is now known as the Shinjar Massacre. They are not only leaders, they are fearless in their care, compassion, and commitment to ensuring youth and families receive the support they need. This episode includes a vulnerable discussion of pain and loss. And so we encourage you to take care as you listen. We're so happy to, to all be together. We miss being together in person, but we're so happy to connect this way. And yeah, where to begin? Tell us where you are in the world. People who haven't met you before, who are listening to this. Summer, tell us where you are and what you're up to. I'm actually in Erbil. It's the capital of the Kurdistan region of Iraq. And Bijar, where are you today? I am... In Dhuk right now. And Zina, where are you? I'm in Dhuk as well. And Angela, where are you? No, I know. Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm in New York. And together we get to connect and learn and listen. And yeah, thank you for making time to be with us and to reflect together. It just feels so good to be connected. And yeah, we wanted to make time to just have a conversation to introduce people to the type of work that you all do and to reflect on the work we've been able to do together, both with the youth that you all you know, have worked with and at Kanki. But beyond that, there are some people listening to this who have seen photographs from that program. So they have a little bit of understanding of what we're talking about. But for anyone who doesn't already have a sense of what you all do and the incredible work you do, I think it would be great to just let you share for a few minutes. Tell us what's happening in the region and what are you all focused on? We're really, actually, let me talk about what the, the most updated things. It's really, there's some little bit concerns in people's lives about what's happening in Afghanistan that might be affecting our area too, and somehow. And we are um, also uh, about to have the, um, one of the main elections in, in October, like choosing a new parliament and forming a new government. That always been affecting Iraq and the situation. That's what is happening in the region. But for us personally, we still, I will speak about myself, we're still doing some work with NGOs and some international NGOs, yes. So doing in peace building consultancy and ministry consultancy. And yeah, we've been, uh, personally, I've been uh, spending a lot of time in, in the NGO that I create with a group of Christians and Yazidis and Muslims to help the people in Sinjar. Summer, could you share more about the peace building NGO that you're creating across 
cultures, religions, and everything. It's just so incredibly powerful. Yeah. In 2018, we had a peace camp with like 50 Iraqis and 50 people from around the world. And from that peace building camp, we come up with a core team of two Christians, two Yazidis, and two Muslims that we want to carry the message out to the people of Iraq. It's really being an eye-opening for us that in each area of work right now, the successful point is how much diverse we are and not grouped. And then just being one group, we decided to make an NGO and help the most vulnerable area, which is Sinjar. So we registered that with the government of Iraq. We have all papers and we are just learning and starting some activities to send out some like start impacting the community. It's a very hard situation, um, but we have a hope and a dream. And it's the good thing, the good message is that we want to send is that we all equal in the of God. And God doesn't look at our religion. He looks at about us as a human. So yeah, and it's empowering Yazidis and empowering reconciliation between Muslims and for Christians also to play another role in that it's, it's, this is the main message that we really focus on. Bijar, what are you focusing on? What is your work? I'm doing nothing right now, but I am trying to invest my time by learning and getting involved in some educational courses such as computer security, data, information security. I'm trying to learn some programming languages because as my professional is IT. Otherwise, I am investing my time in doing some sport, doing swimming, riding bikes. And I'm expecting in September to go my my old work as a teacher in an industrial high school. Yeah, the people are so afraid that what happened in Afghanistan may be repeated here as the U.S. Army left and some other Shia militia or ISIS may well come on, may overcome the country and they control again. Yeah, we have been wondering about that and thinking of the region. Then I wonder if you would feel comfortable sharing for people who may not know the history of what happened in Sinjar. I think Zenith can't, can't mostly talk about this because she is from Sinjar. Okay. Zina, does that feel like something you'd like to share about? Whatever I will share, it will be only about m- me as Zina. So I don't know how important it will be. <laughs> it's very important. Okay, I would love to share. Anything from what you remember or even uh, share whatever you would like to about Sinjar and, and what happened there and anything that is happening now in the region that, you know, we're just would love to hear your voice about all of that. Um, okay, I will try to explain it uh, in a simple way or to share something that uh, you guys can relate. <laughs> um, but maybe I will need you to ask like specific questions that I can answer or I don't know. Like, Yeah, that makes sense, Sina. I am. Um... If it's okay, I'd like to ask just from some of our conversations we had when you shared so vulnerably and with such strength, and it is so important. I think it's frustrating and easy for people around the world to turn on the news and hear something, a blanket story or a blanket update, when in reality, it's thousands and thousands of individual stories like yours that are actually living it out. It is real life. It is your life. It's the people you love and care for. It's 
your dreams and visions. So your story is extremely important because it's what's real. And I think one question would be, could you share what happened and why your loved ones and community had to leave Shinjar? I think one thing that I remember from the students in the program when we were there is a lot of the feelings that they shared and expressed was, I, I don't even want to project a, whether it was frustration or sadness or it was just they were expressing it felt like the world didn't know that this thing happened to their community and the world just didn't know. And so I really want to create space for you to share what happened. Why did Shinjar have to flee? Uh, Shinjar was the only home that I ever knew or I lived in. The moment that I knew that we should leave, it was the moment when I saw my father afraid, afraid of what may happen. I was at Sinjar, like in Sinjar, visiting my parents the day when SS came to Sinjar or to Sinjar. We refused to leave at the beginning or we didn't accept the idea that we should leave where we would go. What's next? Nobody knew what will happen. But then it wasn't just, it wasn't a joke. Like it was a reality that we need to deal with at that moment. Even on our way to Doho, our friends, like our relatives started, like we, we were talking to each other, checking on each other. And then after maybe a few hours of, like after a few hours, since we left our home on our way to Doho, like we knew that people are being killed and kidnapped. It, it was that moment that we knew that this is the last time that we will be in Sinjar. This is the last time that Sinjar will be like the safe home. And after that, everything changed. Like for me now, uh, like I, I always feel guilt. I feel that I was lucky enough to survive. Uh, some people weren't lucky. So many people were not lucky enough to survive. And to talk about it, I feel good that it's even for me it's so easy to start talking about, uh, which like even now there's so many girls that have haven't returned to their home. I don't know how how much it's hard for me actually, even for me to talk about it as just as a story that come with an end because it, nothing come with an ending. Actually, everything is so tiring till now for so many people who are living in the camps people who have passed away like for the girls and the women who who were the the ones who who, who lost the most actually thank you Zina, for yeah for being willing to talk about it and for trusting us to hear it every time i talk about sinjar and what happened and what we went through i tell myself like Zina, don't cry when you tell the story. Every time I do, I just, I can't control it. I'm so sorry. This conversation was supposed to be more fun, but there's no apology needed. And this conversation is, there's no expectation of how it will go. And as long as you feel safe and comfortable sharing, we're here to listen. And it's also something that if you'd prefer, we stop talking about we can i told you guys like my story was nothing my story is nothing comparing with others like I, I was a survivor i deal with it in a way or another 
So I don't feel that, or I don't think that my story is just showing how painful it was, the the whole thing, because I, like, I didn't lift something as a Xena. I didn't lift something so painful that I couldn't deal with it. I, I like, just... Zina, is there, is it okay if I maybe ask one more question about this and we can sure. then move to a, another topic? Sure. If you could share a message from your own, from Zina, from your own experience. You know, we asked this question to the kids that we were all with, Kanki. We asked them what would they want the world to hear about their home. And I wonder what you would want the world to hear now yeah i will always say that like for everyone don't take anything for granted first of all and it's our responsibility it's all of us responsibility to talk about it to share about it because nothing of it was okay nothing of what happened to yesity people was okay they they lost everything they had back in sinjar maybe we can just help to to deal with the new reality of being like being in camps or leaving Iraq or doing whatever that helped them to feel better to recover because so many people are still like aren't recovering aren't finding their their way to recover I would just say I will ask everyone just keep talking about keep sharing about keep helping thank you for sharing that Zena it's something to continue to pause and reflect on and not only just take to heart, but take to action for anyone listening and for anyone who experienced what you experienced in Shinjar or, or anything. I'm, I'm curious what all of your thoughts would be for what could that action look like? Summer, I think bringing multiple perspectives to the table in your work or all three of you working alongside survivors who had to flee their homes all across the region and create a new life with every, it's day by day full of unknowns or full of loss and just grief or not knowing where their families may be. What actions could people take or what actions are being led there locally on the ground that you see are effective, that support, whether it's youth, to connect with themselves, connect with others or adults, or just building back neighborhoods and towns and society. And Samar, you also brought up a point earlier that there's still a lot of fear right now, especially with what's going on in Afghanistan and the reality of what can change so quickly. Yeah, I'm curious to hear y'all's, your, all of your thoughts on what, what would be supportive and what action could be taken. Or what are you seeing be successful or meaningful to actually support people right now? Uh, Zina, I appreciate uh, your talking and your speech words. But I don't want you to feel guilty because, you know, this is, each one of us has a different life. And I, I feel you feeling for your people and, and the one who have been hurt. And it's really chaos. St. it's really one of the cities that, through the history that had been neglected and had been forgotten and been not cared for because it's in the mountain it's the geography it's between three countries Syria, Turkey and Iraq and these countries are trying to 
affect that area. But to be honest, I never met people who are very social and very solid people like Shingalis. That this is something through my life I, I still remember. Within all of this grief and this old sadness, when you enter a Shingali house, he will go and buy as much as possible just to welcome you. Even if, if he has nothing to eat at home and they will, maybe if he has the only one sheep, he will go and try to kill that sheep and feed you for on that day. So these people have been through generations and through years, they've been, you know, resilient. But I think when it comes to a genocide, when it comes to, it's a matter of the staying in a country, it's really affecting them. They feel that their identity, it is what's me, what it's others are chasing them for. What to do? I think there is a lot of interaction. The, the, what is happening is like the bazaar of the governments that who have been interacting. So like a couple of months ago, the Iraq Kurdistan and the Iraq and the Kurdistan government had declared, uh, you know, kind of an initiative together to make it one leadership and one administration between the two governments. And then it's kind of bringing some hope to people, but this thing did not, not happen to be applied online. It's just on TV. It's, yeah, we're going to make the, like, Iraq lead this part, Kurdistan this part, but nothing is happening on the ground that people can feel. Sinjar is still in need of water. People doesn't have a clean water. They depend on wells. And if you are wealthy, you can dig a well in your house. And that's the way that you survive. If not, then wait for one day a week or even a month where the government decided to send you a clean water. So like starting with all of these simple basic needs, plus that there are others who are chasing you for your identity and are trying to kick you off this country. I think if NGOs are trying to help as possible, as much as possible, the United Nations and others, but I think the Sinjar, it's situation, it's a government. I will, I will blame the government of what is happening in, what is happening in Sinjar. It's not just one government, it's multiple governments, like even Syria. I think one of the things is like internationally recognizing the right of Yazidis, that religion, uh, people that they need to be exist in their homeland Sinjar and maybe provide a security for them. Or at least that's what I hear from Sinjar is, or they will let us to stay in and protect us or Another country decided to accept us all and just take us from Iraq and they're going to be fine. They are very peaceful. They are very hard workers, good farmers and shepherds that they just want to live a good life. And I think this like human rights talks about it, but because this government are failing and people are recognizing that if we can put the hopes in people, that's what's going to help, you know, like we really. I think they have done all possible ways to wait and persevere. And, and for me personally, I, I look at it also, it's a time to put our trust in God and, and God from my side, I think God promised us yeah, a life full of persecution and a life full of hardships. So it's also maybe a reminder for all of us that where we put our trust in. It's a really hard question not to do it. And it's not just in there, it's around the world struggles, it's everywhere. I think. Many Yazidis are still living in, in tents or camps. And most of them, they don't want to leave these tents, but living in tents is so hard, especially in, in winter of Iraq and in summer of Iraq. But what the people, what they, do, they don't want to, to go back to their homes in Sinjar. Even in Sinjar, like, you cannot find, like some say, water, electricity, basics of life. 
even there is there is, there is no no nothing like the government did nothing. Many of them have houses being exploded, and no one offered to to rebuild them houses. And they by themselves they cannot do anything for themselves. So NGOs they need more for them in Sinjar, but the government should make environment for the NGOs. So when the NGOs can go there and and help people to start a new life, a new page of their life. Need an activity for youth you care about this season? Bring the Where You Are workshop into your every day for educators, families, and youth participants directly. This workshop is designed to directly meet youth participants wherever they are to help process any current feelings while experiencing a sense of self-expression, creativity, connectivity, and fun. It's a self-guided workshop that youth can complete solo or that can be brought into a group setting or a classroom. The entire workshop is free for anyone, anywhere, with no specific type of camera needed. Learn more and get started at www.100cameras.org backslash W-Y-A. Something that we talk about a lot at 100 Cameras and I think just within a broader conversation about the work that NGOs do and what's been called aid work is that there is no foundational basic needs being met. Then a lot of the additional services or programs or opportunities that NGOs can provide cannot be impactful. And it's hard to know what to say about that or what to do. But I'm thinking about at Kanki where there was this really wonderful center where we got to be with you all and where medical care was available and programming was available and for adults and young people to have some of those basic needs starting to be addressed. It seemed like there was opportunity for more than just the basics. You know, of course, we saw that with the 100 Cameras program, but I'm curious to hear also, what do you all think or what do you observe a program like ours provides for young people? And you can talk about other programs too, not just 100 Cameras, but when there is some foundational basic needs being met, what is the next layer that becomes possible? Well, well I think we cannot blame angels like for all the needs i i do blame governments as an iraqi and i blame my government for all what happened is is and all the delays and the needs and that it's being you know posed and not being met yet but such programs is actually what i think such as like under camera program and other programs is is at least it's helping people to cope we as an iraqi we are not learn we didn't learn how to listen to each other and there is always this looking at kids. And in our culture, if a kid is trying to cry or something, like they, we will stop them and say, hey, don't cry, you're a man or something. We definitely let our kids expressing how to be a kid. So I think one of, one of the memories that I, I really felt the impact to that 100 camera I have is really helping kids to express themselves and uh, be able to talk and even say the hard ships in their hearts. And also teaching them something that it might be a future job or a future a dream for them to be someone. There is not a lot of tensions or attention to kids in Iraq. And that's what I think Hamlet Camera Program is in any program that help kids in education, kids 
from a young age, it's what will change the future of this country. And it, it seems that NGOs are doing nothing because you keep hearing the same needs, even if the NGOs are there. But I will tell you on a personal and individual side, it's really affecting people's lives and changing. And by, by even planting a good memory against a bad memory that it's happened. So in, individually and on a family side, I think it helped a lot. And it, I met one of the people and said, oh, you're from the people who gave me a camera. So I can say, yes, we are. And he said, it's still in the, with the family. <laughs> so it became a family thing that they take it when they go picnics or weddings. But yeah, I mean, to look at the big leads, it's, it might be nothing, but I think it's powerful for the family and the, the kids. For me, it was an opportunity for the kids to to express themselves in the photos that they took and to show where they are living, to show the circumstances they are living in. And it was a good opportunity for them. Of course, they remember forever. Yeah, I do agree with what Samir and Bijar are saying. I do appreciate what NGOs are doing. Uh, I appreciate what the 100 camera did, but as uh, Samir mentioned, it's beyond NGOs control, like the whole thing. It's more on the government that need to help or support more, like uh, 100 camera, for example, the, the program was just so great, so lovely. I was learning about feelings about, let me say, like in our language, we don't even have a word for feelings. We don't really talk about it, about feelings. So it was a way for the kids to talk about it or to represent it in pictures. It was an opportunity for them to show how they are dealing with it. I remember all the kids in the program holding the camera as like they were so proud of holding it and using it. I could tell that they were feeling confident, like... Uh, I have something that I can use to share about myself. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> Zina, I'm remembering a moment in the curriculum. You did such an incredible job translating the curriculum in a way that connected directly with the students. And I remember the moment when, it, I think it's lesson four, when we introduced the concept of feelings, you know, really using photography as a way to connect with our own complex feelings, understand other people may have different or similar feelings. And you looked at me before class and you, you said there isn't a translation yeah. for feelings. Yeah. And you did such an incredible job, like bringing it back, like taking a few steps back from the curriculum and starting to introduce the concept of feelings. And by the end of the class, the kids were communicating with you about feeling happy, feeling sad, and taking pictures that represented that and a few other emotions that you pulled out from our complex feelings as human beings. And it it was just amazing how you did that and how you really connected with the kids and what they started to be able to express after that moment. You did, I, I, I don't know how you did it, yeah. you're just... Thank you, thank you so much. Oh. Yeah, actually, 100 cameras was uh, one of the reasons uh, that uh, I loved kids more <laughs> than what, the, what I did with the kids. You all said something, I think, 
so important to emphasize and amplify. It's about leaning into the reality that it's very complex to support what people need, especially people who have fled tragedy and are navigating a crisis in their individual life. And it's really complex all around the earth, no matter what that looks like or how that takes shape. And I think you touched on something that our team continues to study and learn and unlearn this idea that it can never be just one NGO or one entity. And we have started to have a saying, if we're ever starting to talk like it can be or it could be just 100 cameras having this changing a life, or if we hear another NGO say that, to question it and outwardly challenge that because that's just not possible. It takes so much coming together to provide resources or education or access. And it's so beautiful to think about, as Lydia was starting to talk about, the bottom of the pyramid, foundational needs have to be met. It is a human right to have access to clean water, shelter, safety, food. And then to go up a little further on the pyramid, it's also a human right to feel connected to yourself, to feel connected to your community, to feel that your dignity is uplifted and that you can have access to communicate your own perspectives or thoughts or feelings. I just have seen you all do both well and really lean into it takes multiple aspects to provide what humans deserve and what humans should have access to. And even and take 100 cameras out of it. You know, you all brought in so many enrichment programs. There was a hair salon at the community center. There was sports. There was just so many things that really were providing opportunities for humans to feel connected, to learn new skills, to feel like they can thrive and cope also, as you said, Summer. I'd love to hear what would be your vision, like acknowledging how complex it is and how much it takes NGOs and local efforts. We could also have a whole podcast on how NGOs to be effective must follow local experts such as yourself and leadership. So with that being the understanding, what would be your vision for the future of the communities you work alongside? And I know it's a big question because it is so complex. So many elements have to come together. You know, even Summer, what you're doing with peacemaking and bringing groups together to talk about this and explore this. I would love to hear in your own words from each of you, what is your vision for the future of the communities you are a part of and work alongside? It's a dream. I always ask myself, like, what our communities need? So it's going to be good to This question, I think, falls in that. I think it's a hard goal to, met, to be met. And the easy way is to work with governments and, and inform them and being very nice and do all of these coordinations. But at the end, nothing will happen because governments act in the way they want. The hard way is to start to build a new community and an educated community that can defend their rights. They know what the government should provide for them. Because if you don't know your rights, how are you going to ask the government to provide? That's what we are trying to do. And I think it's a very long term that even maybe my grandsons will see. And I'm not sure. But at least if we put the seed there for a generation who really is educational and knows how to defend their rights, know how to love others and to want to serve others, 
This is, I think, a key point. Don't want you to guys feel that what happened on the hammer camera is not effective. It's effective and in a small step. And that's what we are trying to do. It's taking a small steps that it's as effective as much as possible that could also affect other families and affect other kids and affect other people. And that's what working with the resources that you have with the abilities that you but at least you are not sitting at home doing nothing or sitting at home and just blaming. But uh, I think the change comes from the community itself. My other point is I think the international community also has a role to push a little bit on the Iraqi government and push a little bit of the freedom of religion and beliefs, push a little bit on all of these like human rights that Iraq had already signed it, but nothing is happening on the ground, like uh, protecting women, GBV, SGBV, all of these things. It, like we are so good at signing in declaration and, and, and doing all of that, declaring that we are a part of this declaration or something, but not like we are failing in a practicing and applying. It's also a part of our education system. We're not called to apply. We just called to listen and memorize and write down what they have memorized. We're not ever had been asked to do something different. So like the change is, is long-term change, but it's possible. I don't think it's not. Vijay, I'm going to throw you under the bus to go ahead. <laughs> Being very quiet, bro. Vijay, tell us your dreams. I have a single dream. I want to see peace between people. This is as a general. And for me, I just want to feel stabilized somewhere to see everyone is happy. Like for the older people, I hope Iraq one day to, to be that country that everyone take it as an example, like it was before, like in 1970s. And, and this is my dream. Is it my turn to talk about my dreams? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I have so many dreams actually, <laughs> like how hard we work for them. At some point, I was like, everything is pointless. Nothing is, is, is actually helping. Nothing is having an impact on people. Nothing of, uh, of what I do uh, in my job, for example, is impactful. But then I was like, no, I, I can't uh, help or help people to deal with everything because I myself, there's so many things that I still working on on it to make it better, like on myself. We, we still can make uh, small steps, small things to show love, to show support with each other. Sometimes I feel like uh, we need to focus on kids more, but then I say no. <laughs> uh, even the par parents, like the kids will, when they leave, the session that my NGO is, is doing, for example, they will still wait for mom and dad to love and support and anything that anyone will, will do, it, it will have an impact in a way or another. Like the way that I represent Yazidi people, for example, how much I can love, how much I can support, it also will help. Like all of us are representing our communities in a good way will help. Maybe even my son will not live in a world full of peace and safety, but it will come. Like uh, one day it will happen. People will learn 
how to love and how to support each other. I hope so, actually. Hope. It it really is everything in a lot of ways, isn't True. it? It's a theme. I do agree. Not only have you all shared in this episode, yeah, it's something we learned from you when we were all together as well. So may that be what we believe, what we lean into, and then also lead the actions that we take. We are with you in those dreams and visions for your country. And I think what we'll do is in this podcast, we'll collect some links to organizations that you all support and are a part of and believe are really making a difference. And I think that's something that we could uplift to those joining us in this episode and really start to put hope to action alongside you. Thank you so much. It's so good to be with you all one day, hopefully in person again. All right, you all. Well, until soon, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for it was good to see you. To directly support the communities in Iraqi Kurdistan, here are three organizations that Samar, Zina, and Bijar believe in. The UN Migration Agency in Iraq, the Baghdad Women's Association, and the Progress and Peace NGO. To find links to these organizations, as well as to see highlights from this conversation and more, visit the 100 Creatives website at www.100cameras.org backslash podcast. Until soon.